Hello, welcome back. Um, I think you're supposed to like have a name for the people who engage in the type of media you create, like people who listen to your podcast, people who watch your YouTube videos or something. And I was thinking that maybe we should call our listeners strangers. So I'm strange to strangers. So hello, strangers. Um, maybe that's like really naff and potentially not. Anyway, um, I really enjoyed this episode with Jay Baker. Uh, we talked a little bit about his parents, um, a project that we're working on, uh, his vision of Christianity and Star Wars, amongst other things. He knows a lot more about Star Wars than I do, as I think you'll ascertain fairly quickly. Um, I also always forget to mention during the episode <laughs> that we do now have a Patreon. Um, if you would like to help us uh, pay for the cost of uh, hosting the podcast, that would be much appreciated. That is our first goal. I have uh, linked the Patreon in the what do you call it? show notes, the bit underneath the podcast. That is the show notes, I think. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you for listening. Hello, welcome back to The Estranged Podcast. I'm here with my good friend today, Jay Baker. Hello, Jay. Hello. <laughs> um, Jay has quite an interesting personal and professional background and we're going to talk about that a little bit in relation to the Star Wars movies. I was saying to Jay just earlier that I had, um, I thought I had, I'm almost sure that I had written a bunch of notes for this and I was just looking at them on my laptop and they were nowhere to be found. So um, we'll find something to say. <laughs> I, you know more about Star Wars than I do. I really liked yeah, Rogue you seen, One. You've seen it, right? Different. Sorry? Have you seen Star you've seen Star Wars? I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you know, you never know. You never know. Um, so Jay is the son of uh televangelists, uh Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Um that is correct. That's correct. So these are quite prominent figures in pop culture history. And <laughs> The reason why I thought Star Wars would be a good movie to talk about is obviously that their family, the idea of family in Star Wars, yes. father, you know, because, um, yeah, I mean, you had quite a, an intense and very particular experience growing up, um, both when your parents were kind of in their heyday and also going through um, the very public breakdown of their work and channel and everything they were doing yeah I mean it was kind of like one of the really first big religious scandals in the United States that really like you know made everywhere you know it's like it just went everywhere you know it was before you know before social media obviously it was 87 but you know you know it, every, every time you walk in a grocery store it was in the the gossip magazines it was on late night television it was in the daily news you know i mean it was just it was really every day in the newspaper it was like you couldn't escape it and it 
it almost seems like, you know, for me, realizing the mm-hmm. beginning of the hunger for people to have, I don't want to say news that doesn't matter, but, you know, more of gossip, you know, like this un, un, uh, quenchable thirst for, for, uh, you know, gossip, you know, and failure and, 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 you know, glorifying that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, like fame is an interesting one because, of course, there is this desire to to raise um, individuals to the status of gods and then destroy those gods for having the hubris <laughs> of reaching those heights. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it must be very, especially, I mean, you were like 11 years old when that happened, really kind of. That was, yeah. Troubling and disorientating. But also, of course, because the truth of what happened was much more complicated than, of course, that which became uh, mediatized at the time. Yes. Yeah, totally. And even still to this day, you know, I still see like people, you know, go back and tell the story or use it as an example. And it's just like, oh, well, that's not actually what happened. But, you know, okay. Anything that I I stopped watching the news or like looking at the news at all and about 2007, 2008, because where my parents lived at the time, there was a lot going on. And so experiencing it by being there and then seeing it in the media, because it's very different to you because it wasn't a personal thing. It was just so grating. It was just totally incorrect. And these were in like the most quote unquote reputable media sources. And then at the moment, there's a story um, that is kind of close to my heart that's going, um, that's in the press at the moment that involves my former employer and lots of my ex-colleagues and what is in the media has absolutely like they fall for the aesthetic thing you know it's like the very top layer the very visual um symbology of everything that's going on is taken as fact and actually the underlying currents are completely different to that which is just the emergent visuals of the situation and people fall for that like really it's kind of really disturbing and i think that with your parents you know the very complicated business happenings on a deeper level were oversimplified by a very um, facile goody versus baddie narrative that wasn't actually true at all. Well, I mean, I reached out recently to a a person who considers himself a religious historian and probably has 10 or 12 published books who Mm -hmm. said something about my father online that was incorrect. And and, uh, they argued it with me. Like they were arguing with me and they're like, no, I saw this on Wikipedia. And I'm like, well, how Wikipedia, really? You know, and they're like, yeah, but the guy who wrote this book on your parents was a Pulitzer Prize, you know, winner, you know, whatever. And I was like, prize winner. And I was like, no, no, but it's wrong. It's just, it's not right. Well, you're their kid. So they, you know, and I was just like, all right, you know, I just like, just was like, okay, that's it. And they really lost all respect for me because I'm like, if they're not, you know, I'm their kid. I'm like, I'm a 44 year old man who's, you know, jaded by the world. You might want to listen. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But I was going to say, was that um, a Freudian slip? Because I think you said that he lost all respect for me when I think you meant I lost all respect for him. That's correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That was a Freudian slip. (laughs) But with the idea that they probably never really ever respected me anyway. So. (laughs) But the, yeah, it is. It's difficult. It's really difficult. I think we're working on a project at the moment about your mum and um, (laughs) comparing her um, to a sort of modern day Jesus figure and the idea that Christianity 
is about embracing the contradiction and that your mother um, was so compelling because she was both so contradictory as a person in what she represented, but also was able to dwell in that place where nothing was taken for granted, no right. assumptions were made, and she was able to um, accept the other beyond mere face value. Yeah. And yeah, that's something that's really kind of what we need right now. Because And loved people even who assumed things about her that she didn't mm-hmm. even care to clarify you know to clarify the facts with them just loved them anyway you know i was always really impressed by that so yeah i honestly honestly you know i was thinking about this the other day is about my mother is though it's like i feel like with a lot of uh the the progressive woke woke culture nowadays with the demanding of everybody make these these radical statements you know i don't know if my mother could would be as as progressive Mm -hmm. or seen as, as 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 impactful now yeah. Due to the people, you know, not liking gray areas. Um, well, it's interesting because people don't like, realize how powerful that is. Dolly Parton, obviously, I think when I think of Dolly Parton, I think about your mom. Yeah, they're very um, like kindred spirits. Yeah. And <laughs> part of the Dolly Parton thing, of course, and she is sort of like everyone's favorite grandmother now. And right. is almost can't do wrong. Um, Tom McGowan had an interesting insight about what a national treasure is. And a national treasure is almost somebody who doesn't seem to um, display any imperfection at all. So in the States, he says, you know, Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks, they're the most un- unedgy actors, you know. And <laughs> they've never maybe actually had a sex scene or a scandal. And Dolly Parton is an interesting one because, like, obviously she has these, her appearance is very, in a way, edgy, but she also... Um, is complex enough that I don't think she is able to offend anyone in a way. But right, right. Mr. Mum had that quality whereby, you know, she was a conservative Christian, but like very flamboyantly made up and very in the, in the visual. Um, a very, you know, the, the way that that kind of <laughs> drag queen look, obviously, you know, is like yeah. a hyper femininity and a hyper seductive thing in a way. And that she also, so she was conservative Christian, but she was the first person to interview somebody with AIDS on television, right? Yeah. So she defied, sorry. No, I said Christian television, definitely. Yeah. Um, But she just defied this categorization. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes you more than a national treasure. You become something that just is, yeah, it's like a, it's almost like a, 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 phil- a categorically defying philosophical entity, <laughs> you know, yeah, that like really, really captures the imagination. It, it's yeah, it's pretty amazing. I, I I wonder if if the culture doesn't change, if we won't have less and less of that as we go. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we kind of think maybe we need to revive that. And obviously, this there's the film with Jessica Chastain coming out next year. Yes, um, which. Will be interesting. I mean, but the fact that you know your mother, I think maybe is being revived as a cultural figure now, says something about the age in which we live and the fact that we um, long for her second coming or long for. Well, I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, Elton John is writing a, a Broadway play about my mother, and mm-hmm. he's already written eight songs. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like just it's it's 
it's bizarrely fascinating to me um, how it works and uh, and how people are, are bringing her back. Um, but also the interesting thing of almost in a religious way, <laughs> people hold, you know, their religious people sacred and they almost don't want to to have that idea tarnished is mm-hmm. that I've talked to some of the people involved in those projects, but they really haven't gotten me or my sister that involved in the projects. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's because it's almost as though they're afraid that their de- deities are perfect, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it's, it's been, it's, it's, it's very interesting to see how it, how it's done. It's like, they're doing it with almost this, this strange type of reverence of like, uh, almost like the apostle Paul in the Bible, you know, he he never met Jesus, never walked with Jesus. And he was almost like, I don't even care really about what the the people who did, you know? (laughs) Well, yeah, I know that's interesting. And I mean, I I think the, the, the the complicated nature, obviously there's like a mythologizing and the mythologizing is the person becoming more than themselves and containing more than they really contain and a huge amount of projection and transference from, you know, the public onto them. And I think, you know, there are certain figures like your mother. I always talk about the event of the Titanic, I think is an event replete with so much more symbolism than just the mere facts of the event. Princess Diana, you know, so many people, things that take on, you know, and could, as I say, like, I say this endlessly, like, I know nothing about religion, but, like, in terms of, like, the Jesus figure, you know, in if he didn't um, sort of contingently capture the imagination of um, a very particular form of suffering that people were going through as sort of slaves, essentially, at that time, would he just have been another, like, random schizophrenic, you know? Right. <laughs> right, yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, he, like... I guess the the symptoms that he has, like hearing voices. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, going on a 40-day wilderness fast to like empty himself of some sensation of um, I don't know, like yeah, this desire to empty the self, like um inability to uh like to to the transference for him potentially what he was unable to do given that he couldn't really or potentially that the, the state didn't have as much of a sway on his psyche as like normal neurotic people I mean like he sounds right, like right, yeah. <laughs> you know a bit of a psyche um <laughs> but yeah anyway should we, should we talk a bit about Star Wars because obviously like how many films how many Star Wars films are there oh gosh uh well in the I don't even call it a trilogy because I just think of the original three but then there's the prequels so there's three there and then there's the sequels and there's three there so you have nine. Nine. Okay. So what about is Rogue well, the, One one of the prequels? Rogue One is not. Well, it's not. It's kind of a prequel, but it's not in the the lineage of those you know films. It's yeah. kind of a side story of how something happened in those films. So you know, I you've also like, got Han Solo movie, and you've got uh-huh. you know, I think there was one other movie, and I can't remember which one it was, but what, what there's been a lot of stuff, and now there's. What's that? It was Solo, a Star Wars story or something, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's like a Star Wars story. So, And then there was, there's there's uh, The Mandalorian, which is a yeah. television show um, based on the Star Wars universe. The universe, the Star Wars universe, the Marvel yeah. universe, all these <laughs> All these universes. So, which is your favorite film? Empire Strikes Back. 
It's okay. probably my favorite. And is that um, is that the second one or the third one? That's the second one that's in the original right. trilogy. Yeah, that's the second yeah. one. It was much yeah. darker. Um, yeah. As a kid, I don't think it was my favorite. As a kid, I think I liked Return of the Jedi. Um, yeah. But as I, you know, became older, I, I really liked the the kind of the darkness and the hopelessness and the complexity of the second one, you know. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yes. yes. I, um, my favorite is Rogue One. I yeah, kind Rogue of One's like, great. Um, yeah, it's so unusual to have this story of sacrifice, like really foregrounding the sacrifice and that the return is for something greater than yourself. I think it's, it's interesting. I kind of liked it. Yeah. Um, obviously, so one of the things that's like uh, really, well, there's two two main things that I always think about with Star Wars, which is, first of all, the Force and yeah. the Rebels uh, versus the Empire, which I think is like an interesting topic. And then the other one is um, the notion of the father. Right. Because, so obviously, right, people listen to this like, duh, hello, this is so basic, so sorry, I mean, I'm not, like, don't know anything about Star Wars, but, so Luke Skywalker's father, obviously, is Darth Vader, right? Right, spoiler. And so Darth Vader <laughs> is the Ewan McGregor character in the prequels, correct? No, no, uh, Darth <laughs> Vader is not, Ewan McGregor is uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi, right, so who is... Oh, is it the, is it the, sorry, Hans Christiansen? Yes. Okay, right. So he's, he's, uh, I think that's his name. I can't remember the actor's name completely, but it's Anakin Skywalker. Anakin Skywalker. Is the okay. character. Okay. okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, I mean, I just do like this notion of, you know, a hero becoming a villain and that kind of complicated factor. But also Darth Vader in and of himself, like what he is, what he represents aesthetically. So... Well, I think the great thing about Darth Vader at the beginning of the the, the original trilogy is that you didn't really even know he he was who he was. You thought he killed Anakin in yeah. the first one. You know, you don't know that he's the father, and you really don't know he's the father until really the end of the third. I mean, the second one. So, yeah, I think that's also very interesting part of what makes the film interesting. Absolutely, yeah, and it's, yeah, the second one seemingly, as you say, I literally can't remember much about them, but like, um, it's so dark, but. So, but Darth Vader, like, so he has, he is like a, a very kind of like mangled body that yeah. has been supported by the sort of robotic exoskeleton to continue to survive. Right. Ember, So yeah. he's sort of yeah. like death <laughs> revived. He's death revived. Um, he's a complete brokenness. And, and I think it represents kind of the prison that we all humans live in as our body, you know, is his, this, this costume that literally is the only thing that keeps him alive. And inside is this, you know, complete brokenness that's become complete darkness. Yes. Yeah, so essentially, I think it's amazing. First of all, like, obviously, you know, it makes me think of um, the fascination with like transhumanism at the moment and like that you can kind of live forever but like how horrible yeah. that is to just live forever like why would that be an aspiration and that like <laughs> death really like revives life and gives life meaning gives everything meaning um and that essentially also we're already dead when we're alive like I think that's another thing that like when we go through birth I think we're dead we die <laughs> we go through right. death and it's only like a, a second death which returns us to the void um but yeah, so there's that side of it. But then also, yeah, that side where um, 
it, it, there is something about him that is very compelling and speaks to all of us, as you say, that we are like not these omnipotent kind of um, all-powerful beings. We may speak and have a level of intelligence and a subjectivity that separates us from other animals, but we are not um, really, we are, yeah, as you say, like very broken, um, no. very <laughs> mal-coordinated, um, not very impressive beings. <laughs> and <laughs> also we, um, I'm sorry, carry within us like, yeah, an essential brokenness and um, often like a deep. Well, and he has this, he has a special like little pod that he can go into and take his mask off. And, and at one scene, they show it coming down and you can kind of see the back of his head, all the scars and the, you know, and it goes, you know, as his his helmet's being put on and someone sees it and they kind of look away because he's exposed for what he truly is. Is this, you know, horribly wounded man, um, probably only in his forties, maybe early fifties at this point in the movie. Um, Yeah. But, you know, just, you know, a shell of a man. I mean, that's what was great about Rogue One is you see him in this in, in, the, in this like liquid container where it's like he has no legs, he has no arms. You know, he's just like basically this burnt, you know, horribly burnt human being, but just as the, almost as just a torso, you know, and then he comes out in his in his outfit. I really like Rogue One was that was pretty amazing to yeah. see. Um, there was a uh, Todd McGowan and Ryan Engley's podcast, Why Theory. They did an episode on psychoanalysis and disability and what a disability can tell us about like human subjectivity at large. And that, that idea of, as you say, like both wanting to look and look away often is, is to do with the fact that a, a disability can can present back to us the reality of who we actually are and that um it's something that through fantasy and ideology we try to avoid and then often you know there's this thing of um i think the fact that like carers for instance are paid so little um obviously with the coronavirus and stuff there's i'm sure it's the same in the states this idea you know that the carers who work in all people's homes are like um yeah really bearing the brunt of it and they're still paid absolutely bugger all but that there's something the fact that this not wanting to be in the presence of a closeness to death is um it kind of maybe speaks to that fact that we both want to look and look away or we want to just you know hide from I mean, it, not acknowledge it and when yeah. my mother was dying you know she the hospice comes in and yeah. the hospice workers are just I mean, I mean, honestly, if there are saints in the mm-hmm. world, hospice workers are it, you know, yeah. because they look every face of death, end of life. Yeah. And they basically they basically are coping on behalf of the family. You know, they're mm-hmm. there caretaking, mm-hmm. doing everything they need in those last moments of life. And uh, uh, there's really it would be interesting to just see a study on those folks, to yeah. be honest with you. Just I know. Yeah, that level of um, experiencing that. Endlessly. And because they because they drew a bridge for me and my sister, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and were able to help us prepare for the end and see the end coming as they're helping my mother at the same time prepare mm-hmm. for the end of her life. And, um, yeah, there was really something amazing about that. Anyway, I know that's a little bit off subject, but it's, <laughs> you know. but it's interesting, though, like um, going back to Darth Vader, this this desire to cling on to life. Yeah. You know, to really almost sadistically just not 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 die you know um 
And it's an inter- yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon. <laughs> you have these like billionaires. I mean, it's just a cliche, isn't it? Like hygienically freezing themselves. It's a joke in uh, um, Succession that the older son wants to you know freeze himself whenever to kill him. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's what's also really wild though is like you know when. <sighs> When people do accept death, and we have a mutual friend that I think, you know, went through a a, a death and I felt like they, part of the work is helping us learn to be like death as part of life. And I felt like they accepted death in a way. And when they experienced a death of a loved one, they went through it. But a lot of people thought, oh, there's a problem here. There's a problem here. And so when we, you know, we're so ingrained to believe that, you know, how to react to death and that death is such this horrific thing um, that if someone is able to accept it, we're almost mm-hmm. frightened by that as well. So it's, it's really amazing to me, like, you know, how, you know, mm-hmm. we even, how we fight this, you know, how we just revolve around death and act to death. And I really learned to try to accept it as part of life, just as much as suffering mm-hmm. as part of life. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, it's interesting. I think that, um, Obviously, there's different kinds of death, and obviously, premature yeah. death is something that's really horrendous. And there's different types of death, as in, like, you know, would you rather die and not know you're dying, or would you rather yeah. be so old that, you know, death would be a relief and a release from your body that's really given up? Um, yeah, it's it's interesting, and um, I think the person we're referring to, I think, the person in relation to them who died had been. Um, Obviously, we're all dying to a certain extent. Yeah, like, no, yeah, yeah. Approaching death for, for a number of years. But yeah, it's um, it's a really interesting one. And there is obviously something really haunting. I mean, haunting is just the living dead. You know, it's the, yeah. the dead who haven't been able to pass on <laughs> the ghosts. Um, but yeah, that Darth Vader is like is like the living death. It's about a living dead, a Darth Vader. Because it's like death, dark, Darth Vader. Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, I remember calling him Dark Vader. That's I thought his name was Dark Vader, not Darth Vader. Darth Vader. uh, You know, which is is, is just the actual probably meaning of it, you know. But I do like the way that Star Wars, I mean, I obviously think that the Force and everything is just this ridiculous pseudo-Buddhist, like Westernized Buddhism crap. Right. (laughs) And also like, you know, are the rebels really that much better than the empire? You know, I'd be well, interested. I, 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 I think that's what I liked about the prequels, though, is the prequels yeah. kind of show the complexity of the, exactly. that issue. Of yeah. um, um, that you know, maybe the Jedi's aren't the heroes exactly yeah. that we think they are, and Darth Vader might actually be their problem. Like they mm-hmm. created that problem, Absolutely. and yeah. also, um which, you know, nobody wants to take responsibility for creating Darth Vader or Hitler yeah. or, you know, fallen yeah. evangelist or whatever, you know, yeah. um, even though we all play a role in that. And, uh, and so it, that, 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 that's, I liked the complexity that it finally added to it. But even when you watch the uh, regular trilogy that we're, we're kind of focusing on, mm-hmm. um, you know, Yoda is basically when in, in Empire Strikes Back, when, when Luke goes to this meet this powerful, this very powerful Jedi, which ends up being in this small little green man, which he's, he's shocked by, but tells him he's going to have to kill his father. Mm-hmm. And so you still see the issues with, with the power and the force and the Jedis who are basically the, you know, the pastors or the monks who guard the sacred religion are still missing it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? 
and Luke, who's this innocent person who hasn't been, you know, trained in, in, in the force completely says, I can never do that. I can't kill my own father. And then they all go, well, then we're all going to lose. Yeah, mm-hmm. then we've already lost. And so it's, it's really interesting. This, the, the thing that is tied in there is this, almost this rebellion against religion. Um, yeah. Or almost a, a, the reformation of the force. And which is, I think, why they failed with the last sequels to the movie is because they didn't keep that in there. Is that, that, that Luke Skywalker was really this great reformer of, of the Jedi and, uh, and, and kind of restored something and brought something that was never even there to the Jedi. And, and they missed yeah. that. I mean, there's so much in that because obviously, like, it, it, psychoanalysis obviously takes biblical imagery for a lot of, like, um, it's, uh, when kind of like signifying certain ideas and so you always have the death of the father or killing your father and you know symbolically and entering adulthood but actually that that the Oedipal thing is that you want to kill your father to sleep with your mother you know so it doesn't actually right, do right. anything great and then you have like the prodigal son thing where you know you go out and like make your own way but then almost like is there not um a more advanced thing still which is to come in come back and accept and as you say like use the same thing but reform it I mean I kind of think like this idea we're talking um Todd gave a talk that we're both at on Sunday um you know and he he's very critical of Camus um and a lot of like I I really like um Camus in many ways I really like the myth of Sisyphus and a lot of the ethics and also the aesthetics to his work, I think he writes so well. But there are a few things kind of missing, especially in existentialist thought, where they like, it's all a sort of about a form of personal responsibility and right. that like the collective doesn't really matter. And that the thing is, you can't get to the unconscious just by willing it or by setting yourself up against it or by taking personal responsibility like it like you can't meditate your way to the unconscious it's right like you <laughs> yeah no, totally. you the not only thing is like you have to like listen to your Freudian slips or put yourself through therapy with somebody who's properly trained to like listen to them and bring them out it's interesting I read this thing today I'm just gonna get on my laptop I just thought it was so good I think it's Beyond who said this that um so and he's talking about psychotic, um, I don't know if symptoms of the word, but psychotic defences. Um, but I guess this could be just talked about in terms of like general neurotic um, uh, symptoms as well. So he writes that the spectacle presented to the analyst, so basically the set of symptoms that somebody arrives to analysis with, is one similar to that of the archaeologist who discovers in his fieldwork the evidence is not so much of a primitive civilization as of a primitive catastrophe. So, you know, if we think of like um, Mount Vesuvius, you know, and, and what we see is like the end of the civilization, you know, so right. like everything that went wrong. So the point being is like, yeah, it's not just so simple as pull yourself up by your bootstraps and realize that you're acting in bad faith or, you know, because sometimes the, the symptoms are there to protect us or they're reveal, revealing something even worse or, you know, the point being is it's just, it's just like totally, it's totally complicated. And so one of Camus' ideas is this idea of the rebel, which I think in some ways, if you read it like your mum, I think was a rebel, obviously. It's right, like right. Permanently de- defying categorization, like living in a way that is just 
into the contradiction, you know, and, and accepting the other and just not. And but the thing is, I think that that's like true of people. I think we all defy categorization, but we often want to yeah. categorize other people. Um, oh, so make... badly. So yes, and my mother didn't do that. Together. It's, no, it's so interesting. Like even when we would sit down and have political conversations, mm-hmm. and she, she would, you know, I remember when uh, I think it was uh, George W. Bush was running. Yeah. Um, and I was not a fan of him. And, and I was talking to my mom about, you know, insurance and things like that. And she was just so open to it. And she was like, oh, honey, I didn't think about that. Or I didn't, you know what I mean? And she, she wasn't a political expert by any means, but she was just open to having those conversations. Like I never argued about politics with my mother. And I don't even think I've ever, I mean, I think the hardest religious conversation I ever had with my mother was about me becoming affirming of gay people and saying, I don't think that this is a sin. Mm-hmm. And her biggest worry was, is what other Christians would do to me. And yeah. so she knew what other Christians were capable of, of doing through their hate and misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And, and so she wanted to protect me as the, as for my mother. Um, yeah. But even that conversation wasn't that, that dark. She goes, you know, I'm just yeah. glad I have a son that follows his, you know, his convictions, his compassion, yeah. his passion. And Absolutely. so it, that was the very interesting thing. Like with my, me and my father, we have, we've had very tough conversations. Um, but my mother was just always able to see the other side, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, not even have to subscribe to any particular side because she didn't feel like she needed to. And I feel like that's probably why I'm so drawn to something like punk rock. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of punk rock that's very political and things like that. Um, yeah. But but there's this, this this just to live as who you are, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And when you say this, this political are. and political, you know, yeah, <laughs> I always yeah. think that and often what in common parlance say like it's too political is the point is that it's actually not political at all, because I what I think is political is the con is the way that we manage contradiction and. Yeah. You know, so if you're just exposing contradiction as such, well, you could say that's political. But yeah, well, that's why I mean, I mean, I mean, that's one of the great things about even, you know, in Belfast, uh, Mm -hmm. Stiff Little Fingers is there was a band that had, you know, um, had had members, you know, who who were Catholic and members who were Protestant in the band, you know, Mm -hmm. and they talked about politics. Um, but the idea is they talked about not surrendering to either side or giving or, or not being forced to choose a side. So I felt like that was really interesting too. And back to Star Wars is I think that's what we start to have with Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's funny as a kid, I was never attracted to being Luke Skywalker. I didn't identify with Luke Skywalker. I didn't identify with Darth Vader. The only character I really identified with it was Han Solo. I was going to say R two D two. That's <laughs> with that like yeah. weird brass guy. <laughs> yeah, it was just yeah, it was R2D2 a little. No, it was um, it was, yeah. it was it was Han Solo as a kid. Like it was funny because you know we'd always have to call out who we wanted to be when we would play a game, and yeah. I always got to be Han Solo because everybody called out Luke Skywalker. So yeah, well, um, this is the thing. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it is. It's um, everybody wants to be the hero, but yeah. often the hero is not. Obviously, a story is told through drama by definition is quite complex and presents more um, perspectives than like other forms of discourse. But, you know, it obviously has a it has a, um, a protagonist. 
So, but you know, could the protagonist, the story could always be told through somebody else's perspective. And if it was told through Han Solo's perspective, then maybe he would be the favorite character. But yeah, just going back to the idea of the rebel though. So potentially one criticism of Camus that like, if you're just a rebel, and you never graduate from the rebel position. That's sort of the, you know, the teenage rebellious position, but you always have to have something to rebel against. So you always have to have an enemy and you always have to have, you only exist in relation to something bad or that you perceive as bad. And obviously yeah. like when there's a bad situation, we obviously want to rebel against that situation and create alternatives. And I think that's what punk did in the seventies in Britain, but that, yeah. you know, potentially you could graduate from that all orientate yourself in a different way and that punk today would look different from punk in the 70s and that um yeah as you said like earlier the jedi require the empire you know the story requires the empire they like they have this mutually libidinal um like locking position and we see obviously this in politics over the last however many years where you know we have right-wing identity politics and liberal identity politics and each yeah. of them requires the enemy of the other yeah, I mean, and it's horrific. <laughs> and maybe that's why I like Han Solo is because Han Solo is just kind of flipping in the middle of it and doesn't give it, you know, he's just like having a hard time buying into it all and just trying to live his life and take care of himself. And yeah. But at the same time, do some good. You know, he's like, well, I yeah. do see that this side's a little bit better than that side, so maybe I'll work with them. But at the same time, yeah. I've got to pay off this debt because otherwise I'm going to be, you know, frozen and carbonite, you know, so as whatever killed, you know, so it's interesting. But yeah, I mean, exactly. Because again, like all of this discussion is not to say that each side is equally bad as the other, because obviously in any given situation, there are people who are most affected by um, a, a structure and one has to find ways of in court, you know, making the structure work for as many people as possible. But um yeah but we do often like we often fall foul of appearances not understanding the deeper like libidinal investments or um you know, material structures that underpin things and we can really get um confused and bamboozled by what we see on the surface yeah. like what seems good and what seems bad yeah so um yeah no go ahead i was just gonna say obviously aesthetically so the uniforms of the, of the empire obviously have a really fascistic appearance and um, yeah. very pure white suits or black kind of leather type suits which is <laughs> right. very, you know um third reiki um and then the the it's interesting the rebels have this sort of like um i would say easternized hippieified military <laughs> style <laughs> Totally. So I think it's quite funny because to me the hippie hippies you know it has a fascistic element because it's trying to to me like a fascistic ideology is trying to eliminate contradiction and trying to yeah. create a wholeness where one can never be found and the wholeness always requires a scapegoat and obviously you know when you have there's only some people I know and I have fallen into hippie thinking a lot of my life which is maybe why I just don't like it so much because I've experienced an experience where it leads but um, you always have to have an enemy in that. You always have to have, you know, those people who are too intellectual, those people who wear suits or they don't get it or whatever. And obviously, um, Nazi ideology has, requires um, a perpetual scapegoat of Jewish people and others. Right. Um, but, yeah, no, it's interesting, though, that there is this sort of... Um, 
third Reich like look to the whole thing. But also, I mean, if we're thinking historically, the Third Reich did really emerge out of liberal um, liberalism. You know, the yeah. Nazi Party was founded in 1919, and I think World War One, you know, led to the creation of this new liberal world order. And it's not some perfect utopia. You know, there's people who suffer at the hands of liberalism. There's people who are excluded, um, and. You know, when people have this sort of like fascism fear all the time, as much as it pisses me off that they like um, often the word fascism is just thrown around at anybody whose political opinion don't agree with. The one thing that is correct in it is that liberalism and capitalist neoliberalism engenders, pushes people towards um, a a fascism. Like it's, it's an emergent, like identity politics is an emergent out of the destabilizing force of capital. And so the point being is like this, and I think you pointed this out with the first three, the prequels, is that, you know, this world of illusory freedom and wholeness just doesn't exist. Antagonism goes elsewhere. And in the world that we look at today, we're we're apparently freer than we've ever been. But all of the um, exploitative relationships still exist but they just go deeper and deeper and deeper so you don't know your enemy and what can often happen is your enemy becomes an imagined other through conspiracy thinking basically but yeah so the point being i mean you look what they're doing to what they do to luke skywalker yeah i mean obi-wan says this guy killed your dad darth vader killed your father you know he goes and meets yoda I mean, pretty much the same thing. You know, you got to go, you know, it takes a meeting with Vader, a confrontation between Vader, who, 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 who Luke thinks he's avenging his father, to find out that this is actually his father. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I mean, I mean, even, even, you know, the Jedis are, are manipulating him to do their bidding and creating this, you know, utopian past of, well, when the Jedi were here and when we were in control, you know, I mean, there was still conflict, but, you know, it was, we were noble and we were right. And we were these wonderful, you know, beings. And now you, it's up to you to restore it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, they're so noble that they can't give him the full truth of what he has to fight. Absolutely. And the truth is that that, that world, that utopian world of perfection requires or engenders fascism, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. It, uh, yeah. So, I mean, as I say, like, I've never, like, because I guess it's, you know, it's not children, they're family films, right? And yeah. often, you know, family stories are goody versus baddie. You know, Harry Potter is talking about, you know, it's just so reductive in terms of <laughs> um, morality. Um, but maybe, yes, yeah, Star Wars is um, on a deeper level producing something that is more um well it definitely connects to people but i think it connects to people in some ways in a way that they don't even realize yeah you know what i mean i think it does maybe tickle the unconscious a little bit um Mm -hmm. because so many people are drawn to it and and they think well it's just a good story you know and it's just like this really great fairy tale um but i think there is there is complexity complex complexity to the stories and that they are not seeing themselves and then they see the prequels and they get, Oh, well, I'm upset because they didn't make the Jedi look this way or they did this or they did that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But in some ways they already knew that. Yeah. And you know, deep with inside, if they just paid any attention to how the Jedis were t- 
what they were saying to Luke, you know, and training no, them, yeah, exactly. you know, and then that's exposed to them as they go into this, this past. So it's very interesting to see how it kind of, it plays into their, you know, and now they want the, the last ones struck in from the canon. So it's very interesting hey, really? to see how, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially the, ones, the very last one. The ones with Adam Driver. Yeah. They want those all. And how come? Um, cause I feel like Luke Skywalker isn't represented correctly and mm -hmm. the story isn't good. And there's all sorts of holes that don't, you know, don't make sense to, to the story. Yeah. It's interesting because I've seen all of them, but like none of them, I mean, I do, I'm not like a real Star Wars fan, so it wouldn't offend me in any way, but, um, yeah, they don't, they don't like maybe hold the same appeal as. Well, and it makes Luke Skywalker's journey a bit pointless in some ways. Yeah too you yeah. know it kind of takes away from that and i think they probably should have just ended with the the last trilogy and just let us all have our imaginations they can't but, uh, do that they've got to make more money out of it <laughs> unfortunately um, i mean i was really happy to see harrison ford play on solo again you know yeah i mean one yeah. of my first early memories is my dad taking me to see return of the jedi Mm -hmm. and for the second i had seen it but he asked me if i wanted to see it again i guess and so we went and we saw it and as soon as they freeze han solo i remember yeah. turning to him this is the memory i turned to him and said hey dad we can go now if you want to and he goes oh no, no we'll finish the film yeah because i was just, about well because han solo wasn't in the picture anymore Oh, and that I was see. literally yeah. the character i cared about you know what i mean yeah. for me it was like oh you know the rest is just luke and yeah and Darth Vader fighting. I mean, the most exciting scene was about to come up, which was really strange. Yeah. <laughs> and so even as a, I, I must have been five or six years old, you know, I yeah. still had some connection to, you know, Harrison Ford's character that, you know, was was my purpose for loving the films. Really interesting. Yeah, that is yeah it really is interesting. Maybe I, maybe I related too much to Luke that it, I had to get away from him, you know? Because, it's always you know, interesting, I, I, though, like, um, it, I don't know what it was, but th there's a film that my older sister and I watched endlessly as children. Like, it was really the film that we would always wake up, sneak into the television room, like, really early on a Saturday morning and always put on television. Right. Um, and it's called The, the Rescuers Down Under, so random. Um, and both of us, I don't know why, but both of us, like, two or three weekends ago, I found myself going onto YouTube being like, what was the name of this film? And like watching scenes from it. And then just like a couple of days later, my older sister was like, what was the name of that film we used to watch Strange. with the mouse and the bird in Australia? And I was like, I haven't thought about this for like 20 years. Um, but there's something that I do, so either it was like, we're both, I'm doing, we're both doing like a form of like therapy. <laughs> it was like we were reviewing our child in some way, but I was like, this is so weird that it's coming up now. Although part of me was thinking it was to do with both of us watching The Crown, binging The Crown. Oh, maybe okay. something happened in The Crown that made us both think about it. But it is it is funny, these like stories. And I watched a scene from the film that really was like, oh my God, this was like a real, like, I remember watching it and it being like a real like moment in my childhood, like a way I like orientated myself towards the world was like the logic in this scene. And maybe it was actually like, <laughs> Yeah, just confirmed back to me how I felt about the world or something. But yeah, I know it's really weird these childhood films and who we identify with and yeah, yeah, how much impact they have on you. <laughs> it's like random cartoon about a bird and a mouse in Australia. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you something else, and I can't remember what it was. 
um oh yeah so so the beginning of the 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 first main film he's on this planet with two sons right haha yes yeah. i think that's quite interesting <laughs> <laughs> well maybe he could be what he could his part of destiny is to be one of these two sons you know right yeah right. Anyway, um but so he's he hears princess leia saying we need you something, is that right? Yeah, Obi-Wan Kenobi, yeah, she's, okay. he sees a video of Obi-Wan, of her reaching out to Obi-Wan saying, you know, you're our only hope. Because as far as they know, he's the last Jedi. Okay, okay, interesting. They're saying, we need you to come help us in Alderaan to basically fight the dark side, like you're the only one. Probably not knowing that that he was the one who but Darth Vader in his current state <laughs> of <laughs> mechanics. <laughs> you know, so because he's the one who chopped off the legs of, you know, oh, of Anakin Skywalker and caused him to fall into the lava. And yeah. So. It's interesting as well, I was just thinking about the dark side. I mean, there's something like obviously very meaningful in that, in that like anytime you have an individual or an object and you have light, you have a dark side. So, yeah, there you go. I mean, it's one, you can't have one without the other. <laughs> Maybe if they just became more dialectical about the whole thing. <laughs> well, there's, the, you know, there's like, happened. there's fiction comics, you know, and books written that where they're, they're where they're, and I haven't read anything about the gray Jedi, but there's gray Jedi, supposedly, you know, these people who oh, walk really? between the dark and the light. Yeah. That's interesting. That is very yeah. interesting. Well, I suppose, you know, the uh, the universe being around so long, somebody would have that oh, yeah. insight to to do that. So, um, any more thoughts on on these films? Well, I would say that this is the biggest for me as uh, yeah. someone whose work. You know, I've I've been a pastor, <sighs> evolving, doubting, questioning, all sorts of things type of pastor for mm-hmm. 20, 24 years, I guess. Um, maybe longer, actually, maybe 26. God, I feel old. Um, but for me, I, I, my main focus has always been on the message of grace, this idea mm-hmm. that, you know, no matter what you've done, no matter what, you're always covered by this this grace. And, and grace is where it comes from, and its ideas have changed for me over the years. But, yeah. you know, but the basic Christian idea is, is that that's what Jesus gives us, you know. But then if you look deeper, you go into the Old Testament and you find that it was there as well, that there's always been this pure acceptance. And for me, Luke Skywalker, when he's fighting his father at the last film in Return of the Jedi, he, I mean, and he, he feels the good in him. And he says this. He says it to other people. You know, there's still good in him. And everybody's like, no, he's freaking Darth Vader. You know, I mean, he killed all these people. He's mass murderer, you know, Um He's been part of blowing up planets. You know, he's, he is evil. Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, they're still good. And he turns his father to good at the end, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a scene where he's literally like his father ends up saving Luke's life, which is, is really interesting. And, and we could probably talk about it for a long time. <laughs> but there's a scene where he's like, no, come with me. And he's literally dragging this gigantic machine darth vader luke is trying to drag his father to the ship in order to save his life you know like fuck the jedi Mm -hmm. you know 
who cares what anybody says? I'm doing what I want to do. I'm going to redeem my father. And he's dragging him down. And at a point, the father just says, you know, please take this mask at me. I, I want to see you. And he's like, I'll die. And, it's, and he's like, I've already died. I just want to look at you with my own eyes. And, he, and he's like, I want to save you, father. And he's like, you already have, you know, so he takes off the mask and they talk to each other. And of course he dies and it's, you know, basically Anakin Skywalker is, is you know, restored and Darth Vader has died and, you know, they both, whatever, but it's this concept of ultimate grace is that at the mm -hmm. end, these force ghosts, ghosts show up and it's the ghost of Yoda and it's the ghost of uh, Obi-Wan and it's the ghost of Anakin Skywalker, you know, and Anakin is the, you know, uh, was obviously Darth Vader and he's completely yeah. restored to the light side of the force. And so this concept of ultimate grace of someone mm -hmm. being restored who didn't deserve it. The religious leaders were like, there's no way this guy deserves it. You know, nothing. And it took someone seeing a, this ounce of hope, feeling this ounce of something right inside the other, his, his mm -hmm. father that saved him and ultimately Absolutely. restores him as good. And it's completely unfair. It completely doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it would never work in the world. It is so absurd. I'm surprised that this film has millions of fans because basically it's like if Hitler's last minute, his son came in and said, no, there's still good in him. And he did one good act and then he mm -hmm. was restored. You know what I mean? It, it just yeah, doesn't it, make sense. Cause this is the thing, like, I mean, so grace being like the absolute acceptance that you could be accepted for anything. And I right. think this is why um, like the 12 steps has the ability to work where other um, for like other straightforward systems um, often end in failure or can just prolong right. the process of covering up the real issue until you might, you know, your life might be ended and you're still fine. But like how, if you were to go on indefinitely, you know, it would be exposed. But like the, the 12 steps work because there's 12, the step zero. So obviously you, know, obviously you have this sort of like westernized Buddhism with the force and like yeah. this magical power that you can access. And the thing is, like, for me, this is where the point where, um, like, loads of magical thinking and, like, religion, like, a, religi um, a religiousifying of, like, the, in the insight of the, the unconscious is that, like, it's as if you can transform this into a concrete thing. But, like, the right. one thing that you require to do in order to be able to stop self-sabotaging or moving forward, which, in a way, is sort of magical is absolute acceptance. Yeah. Um, but it requires, like, it's, it's, it's so important and it's so painful because we want to totally um, escape what a confrontation with, like, yeah, the, the darkness. Yeah, well, I mean, it literally, yeah, I mean, it switches literally from Buddhism, I think, to mm -hmm. a form of Christianity at that moment. Well, I think that, like, tradition you know like more um less commodified buddhism has more in common yeah. with a radical christianity in in a radical acceptance you know i think in the west it's often been weaponized for personal growth and enlightenment when really right all right there is like it, it's like the science so the enlightenment the philosophical enlightenment is you know about the scientific method and that as well requires a step zero. The scientific method requires a confrontation with the fact that this experiment might not work or that you 
could be utterly disproved. It's yeah. to get you out of absolute thinking. Um, but it's interesting, yeah, that the last thing is this sort of radical acceptance, and that's that's, yeah, t- I mean, that's just, just enough. It's enough. And, and, and it's enough, you know, and that's what's bizarre about it is, too, is that, like, all the fans want a Darth Vader movie. They don't want a Darth mm-hmm. Vader movie where they can see him being good and nice, <laughs> you know. <laughs> they want to even see him be more evil and see him do more stuff and be like, oh, I want to see him kill more people. That's why people loved Rogue One is because he shows up in the last scene and kills all these rebel fighters, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like it's this freedom for him to be the baddest baddie there is because ultimately he's redeemed by something. And so for me, I feel that there's um, – I can hear my best friend disagreeing with me on this, but it's okay. Um, I feel <laughs> I feel that a lot of the reasons why people are drawn to this is because there is an ultimate redemption. And I think that's why a lot of people didn't like the sequels is because it downplays – that redemptive moment of what Darth Vader does, the sacrifice that Darth Vader makes in this moment of redemption, um, where he ultimately gets this complete undeserved, you know, he becomes a saint. He's standing there with the saints. I mean, that's what they are. They're in their robes, they're ghosts, they're angels, they're saints, you know what I mean? And he's one of them. Because, you know, I totally, I think that um, what people, what is popular, is actually a confrontation with these basic truths and that those basic truths are difficult to be capitalized upon but what generates um what uh, the market uh is a beneficiary of is these are these absolutes and that a redemption is not good for business yeah no <laughs> because it's you not, have to have I, a perpetual uh, like a, a thousand year reich in a thousand year war as you know on the eastern front hitler intended and with capital you have to have like this perpetual expansion so you have to have this perpetual um unfinished business and unresolved well, yeah. issue and when you can well, resolve it, it with just the basics of grace you're accepted you are broken it's fine yeah um like that works for humans but it doesn't work for capital well and the original ending yeah 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 was a complete capitalist ending in the in what lucas wanted to originally do he was going to have luke remove the helmet from his father Mm -hmm. and put it on himself and say now I yeah well that's Darth the capitalist Vader. one exactly that that means though that the the trilogy wouldn't have ended there wouldn't have been right. this great like they can't they can't move they can't make another one just after that <laughs> you know, they had to make a prequel before it and then they can make these yeah. offshoot ones but that is that's the end I mean that's well they it. really had to try hard to make the sequels like yeah. the prequels they, that's why they made prequels is because they're like well the story ended with Darth yeah. Vader. Yeah. And that's why George Lucas had to sell it to Disney in order for there to be sequels to be made. Cause he's like, I have a new kid. I don't know if I have time for this. And honestly, I think he was saying it was like, it's over. Like for yeah. me, yeah. what I envisioned was completed, you know? Yeah. So you guys are going to have to go on and make this story happen because, you know, Darth Vader was redeemed, you know, Luke Skywalker bought balance to the force, you know, it's done. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and capitalism of course was like, well, we'll give you millions of dollars so we can make the story. We'll find you know. it. We'll, just, <laughs> yeah. like, we'll make it work. But, it used um, to be when a girl, growing up, people would say, God will make a way where there is no way. And I, I feel like saying, no, it's capitalism will make a way exactly, where there is no exactly. way. We'll just, we just repress the fact that actually the, the tie has been tied here. And we just like really obfuscate the fact that you know, he's been redeemed. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's interesting. And I, yeah, I know, but the thing is, it has to be sort of like a stellar kind of um, structure now where it's not a linear like this did it did it did it and can, can, um, continuing on add, you know, to, to infinity. It has to be like we get a glimpse of Darth Vader here and this story is now sort of like positioned slightly before his death or this is slightly right. after this is an offshoot. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. But yeah, it is. Well, I mean, they even did it with the first villain from the first vi- from the first prequel. Yeah. Um, Darth Maul. I think it's Darth Maul. Yeah, Darth Maul is is sliced in half yeah. and sent thousands of feet dying to his death. But when Disney made cartoons, all of a sudden the geek, the guy character comes back with electric legs. You know what I mean? Yeah. I so mean, it's, it's funny that, that happened in Game of Thrones. That, yeah. So um, if you John look Snow at capitalism died. in a way, yeah, that even to order to fulfill our our unquenchable thirst and hunger mm-hmm. of of this, they have to bring back the the darkness. They have to bring back the evil that was confronted and taken mm-hmm. away. It has to bring it back because there has mm-hmm. to be this constant conflict. You know, there can't be an end to the story. Absolutely, and, uh, absolutely. And we can't we can't create new stories. It has to be the right. same record playing over and over again in slightly different forms that look aesthetically different, but they're exactly the same. Which is which is why I get frustrated by so much of the, you know, um, things that we see culturally that paint themselves to be a new radical thing. But like, actually, if you look at the undercurrents of the whole thing, well, it's exactly the same thing, just in different clothing. Um, Well, you know, and just one way to relate it back to my father, because I think that's what we were kind of hoping to come out of this, (laughs) but didn't as much. But with, I feel like in a lot of ways, my progressive friends, which I used to count myself amongst, but I'm not really um, consider myself progressive anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of these folks were like, you need to denounce your father. Um, recently, mm-hmm. my father had a, you know, a few months ago or almost a year ago, my father had a stroke and, mm-hmm. and I just said something about it. And they're like, well, he's an evil man and blah, blah, blah. Cause he's now he's very conservative, yeah. you know, and he does all this weird, you know, sells all these weird survival stuff. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and so he's, people have really gone after him and really made him the bad guy. It's almost in a way that my mom was such an amazing person that, you know, somebody had to be bad. So my dad's, mm-hmm everybody focuses on him being the bad guy unfortunately because he's a complex individual he's a human being it's bizarre um <laughs> believe it or not but what i've had to do to relate to some of these progressives in a way is almost pre- speak in a way that i am luke skywalker and he is darth vader mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know to say you know no you know i'm not going to denounce him you know he's a complex human being you know when we yeah. went through when his prison time together, we bonded, you know, mm-hmm. there is good in him. There is some stuff mm-hmm. that, that is redeemable. You know, I mm-hmm. see redemption possible. And if I cut off communication, then there's no, you know, maybe he doesn't have that, you know, he doesn't and have you, that. Yeah, and yet. you would drive him, you, you're just creating something potentially even worse. Yeah, right. And it's not even so to say like, you're, you know, you're, you're the perfect person who can grant and sell, you know, grant salvation to somebody, but it's like anybody can do it. And it is literally just, yeah, being able to accept the other. Um, to, to, and have to have a, a to argue well. Yeah, exactly. You know, to argue well and and argue argue with 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 grace. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, my the reason I have very few friends is because obviously friends who tell me what I want to hear don't meet a need in me. Mm-hmm. I'm friends who are mean to me and aren't really. <laughs> but I have you know my friendships usually are based with people who will tell me the truth. And still yeah. love me despite that truth. Yeah. And um, and I think that's what 
what we're missing is this idea of people, you know, will tell us what we don't want to hear and what we do want to hear, you know, what, but you know, this balance of, of being able to argue well and have conversations. I mean, that's what I've been doing at my church. And it's funny because we should do right because of COVID, we started doing all of our stuff live on Facebook. And now I have people who are Republicans and Democrats in my online congregation. And every now and then we'll have someone who's very conservative or very liberal come in and kind of try to like, troll us a little bit mm-hmm. and it's so funny i have two of the people who have got this this very liberal atheist friend of mine <laughs> um who doesn't you know doesn't have a sexuality and then i have a very conservative super duper trump supporter in there and those, those two will team up together and try to talk this person down now mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um to me it's quite radical to see that people can yeah. argue well and Absolutely. they can also people who don't agree at all and could have their very own arguments can work together to calm down somebody who's very extreme on one side or the other. Yeah. It is crazy. It is crazy where we are and like material conditions do drive people to this kind of absolutism, but it's like that, you know, we have to work towards a world that's more equitable to make it less likely that we reach these points. But in the meantime, we can be, we can try to be accepting of other people and, you know, not in this silly, like Benetton, we all hold hands thing. It's like, right, no, right. Like, this is all about conflict. In fact, when we when we just do that Benetton all holding hands, we're just reducing people to objects. They're not actually yeah. there in their full humanity. They're just a representation of a whole race or something like that. They're not actual people. Um, yeah, well, and, and it's, it's really in a lot of ways, it's, it's this type of virtue signaling. And I think yeah. that was what was great with 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 Star Wars mm-hmm. ending in Return of the Jedi, and you don't get to see Luke Skywalker be the ultimate hero and what he did as a hero or all this because he changed everything or the fact that he, mm-hmm. you know, the Jedi should be kind of pissed at him because he he took the third way. You yeah. know, he didn't join the dark side. He didn't kill his father just so the dark side wouldn't exist. He went, you know, he tried to, to restore his father, you know, and what was, what's great about that is you just kind of have to live in that before that you just kind of had to live in that fact, even in the, in the sequels, Darth Vader's ghost or Anakin Skywalker's never shows up. You never see it. I mean, he's still a presence there, but you never see him. So I guess that's, I guess one of the good things about the prequels is they kind of left that complicated, like, like Disney could not figure out how to deal in a way, this is really ironic with the grace and that was given to him. Like, Cause originally they wanted to have him as a force ghost that was still conflicted, mm-hmm. you know, and they're like, but, you know, people aren't going to accept that fact that, that, you know, he's still conflicted because he was forgiven and made this, you know. So I, it's really interesting that even this this money-driven prompt, you know, group of people are like, well, we're going to make more money off of this. We have to give a good story, but we're going to make more money off of this. Could not tarnish that. Like, even mm-hmm. they didn't couldn't figure out a, a, the right way to make Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, will accept, it defies capital, but it's interesting, yeah. like, just comparing that ending to like the John Snow revival thing, like, and it was all just a dream and oh, all, no, yeah, we could just yeah. revive you. It's the ultimate capitalist yeah. fantasy. And I think this cryogenic freezing is just like a brilliant way. Just It's bad infinity. It just goes on forever. It is not a sealed loop, which potentially like a more, like a good infinity would be, which yeah. um, Hegel, um, uh, Dr. Tom McGowan, like, likens subjectivity itself to the good the good infinite but bad infinite yeah it's just this perpetual resuscitation and the living dead bring it back to life bring it back to life bring it back to life yeah but um 
It's interesting because even like you said about the third way, even the third way I think was has a right wing deviation to it. Like Mal yeah. used it, and like so, it's not even just like a material thing or like all you have to do is do this. It's just like it's beyond categorization. Yeah, know? no, it is. I mean, and, and it is, it is, it is a way of going. Okay, here's the contradiction, and yeah. I'm going to embrace it. Mm-hmm. And it is a contradiction. It's still accepting the mm-hmm. fact that this isn't a euphoric plan yeah you know yeah, exactly. I mean, this isn't this isn't going to create a, a utopia mm-hmm. by this either like grace isn't going to solve that that's why i like about grace is because it's very dirty and it's very yeah it doesn't doesn't hold the ideas of justice that everybody just craves so much yeah. who thinks yeah. that they're higher than others you know what i mean like this yeah. total utter forgiveness doesn't handle that either you mm-hmm. know so uh, he so he picks this other way this third way that is not any better than the either probably either the other ways. I mean, it's somewhat probably better than Luke the evil dark lord and killing more people, but it's still there's still conflict there. And that's why I like it. It ends with this conflict that people should be conflicted by this idea of what happens to Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader at the end of these films and how Luke Skywalker handled everything. Mm-hmm. People should realize that there was just this third way that still wasn't perfect and i think that's what the the, what's good about the film is it's just there's no you know i mean everybody likes it because it just summed everything up but for me i think it's leaves it in the way that you go like holy shit that you know because this is what i've had you know when i I, when i when i debated i remember debating with some years and years ago you know when they would put me on larry king live and stuff they'd be like oh jay we're gonna have you on with an atheist i'm like well yeah this is the point but okay you know neither one of us are gonna yeah, yeah, I'm like, we're not going to prove that there's a God or there's no God, yeah. but, you know, yeah. whatever, uh, you know, I'll do it. And 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 we have conversations. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, and, I, um, you know, but, the, the clip, obviously, of you um, having, like, the, I think it's from One Punk Under God, having the... Um, the congregation in your the palm of your hand and then and then saying and of course when we apply this to lgbt people whatever this was right. like 15 20 years ago and everyone's like no 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 and yeah, then no, look the at whole... it now look at it now i know i know i was like i was a little bit too ahead <laughs> but this <laughs> is know. the thing though i mean what is the what is the capitalist position changes and who is the who it is unacceptable to accept yeah. changes yeah. and there will always when we have this capitalist or any um attempt at wholeness that doesn't include the contradiction the only way to the universal you can only have a universal through contradiction because otherwise something is always going to be unacceptable to be accepted right. and at the time yeah when you were when you were um doing that documentary series that was unacceptable to be accepted but the position of the christian or the in my hegelian or yeah um, left wing person i think is not this liberal position but is actually to accept the unacceptable well and i like and, and back to the thing is with the atheist mm-hmm. too the neo-atheist at the time are saying well mm-hmm. grace doesn't make sense because it can forgive the murderer on death row and now they're yeah, going to be that's okay. The whole point. That's the yeah. whole point. It doesn't right. make yeah. the unconscious is like the end of meaning. It's the tear at the heart of everything. There is a tear. At, you know, we come from oblivion. We come from the collision of rocks. We come from 
sex, which is an impossible act. <laughs> sex and sexual fantasy is like the only thing that can't be categorized. Like we come from nothing. We are yeah. marked by nothing and it defies logic. And then all of these things like the legal system, which yeah, should put a murderer in prison if they've, if yeah. they've murdered somebody. It's not about that. That's about um, a technology that attempts to execute justice in the fairest way possible within society. But forgiveness is a separate issue and it defines all of those things. And that's why I still have this weird job. Amen, Amen, sister. Yes, that's why I'm, that's it. And I think that's why I still do this, this work. And so there you go. Thank you. Thank you, George Lucas. thankless potentially because, um, yeah, one, when one, I almost feel like I'm pissed off with like Todd McGowan because like, um, I feel like, you know, I was always interested in this stuff, but then like reading Capitalism and Desire, I'm like, fuck, I can't unsee this now. And now I can't. Now you've you've ruined my financial prospects for the future. Well, and the funny thing for me is, is, is I feel like Todd does that. He ruins your financial prospects. But for me, yeah. he's made my faith, uh, my ideas of Christianity and my yeah. belief and my, my religion. Uh, he's, he's reaffirmed it in a lot of yeah. ways because of Hegel's. Uh, relationship to, to 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 Christianity, which I believe it was was a pure form of of, the, mm-hmm. of that religion and that faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, like living in the in the contradiction and these Hegelian ideas mm-hmm. have 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 breathed new life into me. Absolutely, but absolutely. It, I mean, I wouldn't it, have know. it any other way. Yeah, I wouldn't. Have yeah. It so I, I mean, like I think love, God's love is you know. total is a total waste. As in, like it's the most brilliant thing. But if you're just thinking about capitalist profit, it's a total yeah. waste. Like um, acceptance is the same thing. Contradiction is the same thing. Doing psychoanalysis is the same thing. You know, it's living into the void. Um, But actually it does improve. You know, there is, there is sort of a material benefit as it, like you, you might stop reliving your trauma because you're able to more readily experience the actual fact of it. So you don't need to project it out. (laughs) You know, what's really funny too, is I'm so, my brain, I've been so raised in the capitalist society that was, we're talking about this as we're wrapping it up. I was, my first thing was like, well, how do we sell this idea? (laughs) (laughs) We do also have to have, this is the thing that's difficult is because we also have to have like material comfort and a roof over our heads in order to be able to do this kind of stuff. And that actually material comfort, like helps people to be less stressed and to yeah. not scapegoat the other. So there is an inter there's an interplay. Um, no, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I want to take care of my kids and have fun place for them to play. And I love fashion. You know what I mean? So there's certain yeah. things that are like, you know, yeah, there's certain I. things yeah. I do love. Yeah. So. Exactly. I'll buy a secondhand Alex- Alexander McQueen shirt. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah, I bought a secondhand leather jacket the other day. <laughs> so. No, I think I. It's interesting though because I've seen like a brand that I quite like that is very good source for secondhand designer items. Like they're now weaponizing that idea of it's more green and more ethical to buy secondhand. Yeah, and then like advertising based on that. So you're like, mm, I mean, that's great, but also it's the same thing. So you know. Um, <laughs> Anyway, but this is the thing where it's not about what it appears to be, it's about the underlying structures. Should we leave it there? I've got a yeah. I've got some um dinner cooking. So fantastic. Well, you're you're now in on the west coast, right? I am on the west coast, so I'm it's almost lunchtime for me. Very good. Well, I'll be having dinner, you'll be having lunch, and um yes. cheers. It was really nice <laughs> to talk. Yes. And I will uh 
see you again soon and audience thank you for listening thank you bye bye bye